their fellow redeemed. Moses stood there at the edge of the desert. He had been tending flocks for nearly 40 years. That was after the first 40 years of his life when he grew up in in Pharaoh's palace. Although he did not want to be known as royalty, he did not want to associate himself with the Egyptians. As the writer to the Hebrews tells us, that Moses chose to to make it known that he was a Hebrew, that he was an Israelite, a member of God's people. And for some reason, all that had changed when Moses was around 40 years old. We don't know the exact circumstances or what was going on in his head, but the assumption is that Moses thought he would be the one to, to lead God's people out of slavery that he would be the one to finally get things moving and get the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so when he saw the Egyptian mistreating his fellow Israelite, he stepped in and hid the body in the sand. And the next day, he broke up another squabble between two Israelites, and they looked at him basically and said, what are you going to kill us to? And Moses knew that his, his killing of the Egyptian man wouldn't stay hidden for long. And so here he is at the edge of the desert. And not like, not like our image of the Sahara Desert, where it's a gigantic sandbox. But maybe the, the word wilderness kind of describes that a little bit better. It's rocky, a few trees, and some mountains some scrub bush, but not much. And here, he thought, would be the place where he would make his home and raise his family. He had married, he had had some children, and then one day, he's watching this bush, and it doesn't burn up. Naturally, there's not much else to see and do out there, so he goes to investigate, and... It's like God opened a door back to the life that he had tried to leave behind. As he's standing there, he walks up, and God calls to him, Moses, Moses. And Moses hides his face, and God says, take off your sandals. Because here at the burning bush, we've got this this appearance of verse 2, the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord. And that phrase and that, that person appears a number of times throughout the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord who, who stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, from, from killing the boy. The angel of the Lord who would appear to, to Gideon's parents. The angel of the Lord who often speaks on behalf of God and yet is described as the messenger sent from God. And as far as we can tell from all the instances of this term, angel of the Lord, the one we're talking about here is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. What we, the person we refer to as the pre-incarnate Christ, if you want the actual term, that is before his incarnation. 
before he takes on human flesh like you and me. There is the Son of God here in the burning bush telling us more about who God is and what God will do. Because that's the task of the Son of God, the Word made flesh. That's the task of the Son of God to tell us about what God is like, to tell us what grace and mercy actually look like, to tell us and describe for us exactly what God would do. And so here at the burning bush, God calls him over, and Moses hides his face, takes off his sandals, and then God speaks. I certainly have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard their cry for help because of their slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. And another characteristic that we see of God, not just that he wants to make himself known, but that he does so. And that this is the God who sees his people. This is the God who sees the distress of his people. This is the God who sees the distress of his people. He sees your distress, too. I don't know if it's um, something that you've been dealing with for a long time. Or it's something that, like Moses, you've tried to forget about, put it out of your mind, and run away from. There's certainly enough in this world to distract ourselves that we don't have to come face to face with what our deepest needs really are. And we don't have to come up with an explanation for why we feel what we feel. The Lord sees the distress of his people. He says, yes, I am aware of their suffering. And he goes on. He's not just aware in an omniscient sense, omniscient meaning all-knowing and all-seeing. He's not just aware, but he wants to do something. That's the exact next verse, verse 8. So, as a result, I have come down to deliver them. All of Moses' misguided efforts from the past 75 years of his life are unraveled with that statement where Moses had the training, he had the education, and yet he identified himself with God's people in slavery. Moses had thought that he would be the one to spark things off, to release God's people, and had failed miserably. But God says, I have seen, and I have come to deliver my people. Because You know the fact that, yes, God knows all, God sees all, God is almighty, God is present everywhere. But together with that, he is present, everywhere he is present, he is doing something. And here, through these words at the burning bush, and yes, through the rest of scripture, the word of God put into print, through these words, God reveals himself as a God of of grace of free and faithful love. Because, I mean, all people, all people know of a God who is powerful. All people know of a God who has standards and will punish those who fall short of his standards. That's the natural law that's written on our hearts. 
But if we are to know a God who is gracious and merciful, then we need to hear God speak and pay attention to the words that he says. Because in these words, he reveals himself as the one who is the exact same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had worshipped. And he is the exact same God who is keeping all of the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here he says to Moses, it's starting again. It's starting. The very first promise of, of God's people coming to the promised land, eventually culminating 1,400 years later in the promise of a Savior through whom all nations would be blessed. And so God calls Abraham over, or God calls Moses over, rather, and he's standing there, and, and he starts to explain who he is as the angel of the Lord, the Son of God, the pre-incarnate Christ, if you will. He speaks from this bush that doesn't burn up. He shows that, yes, he has power, but that power isn't merely exercised for the sake of power. But he reveals who he is, both in his, his characteristics and his attributes, so that you and I would know him as a gracious and merciful God. That is to say, a God who is merciful that we don't get what we deserve in punishment, and we do get what we don't deserve in forgiveness. And this account is mentioned a few more times in the New Testament as well. It's mentioned when Jesus is talking with, um, with the Sadducees, and they had, they had thought, well, you know, this resurrection thing isn't really a reality, and it doesn't make sense to our intellectual minds. And Jesus pointed back to his words at the burning bush when he had said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he still was. Even then, even though Abraham had been dead for 2,000 years, he still is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because here he reveals himself as the God of, of free and faithful love, of mercy and grace. He reveals himself a little bit more to talk about not just what he sees, but also how he would act. And that's the same blessing that we rejoice in today. The exact same blessing that, that we hear about in his word. That word is, is no, maybe a little bit less impressive. You know, a guy standing at an altar and reading it. Um, it's not quite as maybe visually impressive as, as a burning bush that doesn't burn up. But the spiritual word that is shared there is just as powerful and just as meaningful to people who might not be laboring in slavery, but perhaps who have distresses of their own. To people who recognize the sin that we brought here, and if, if God had made himself apparent and visible the way that he does here in the burning bush, well, our shoes would be all out there somewhere. But the place where we stand here together is holy ground just the same. Because the Lord dwells among his people and reveals himself again through his word. Through that word of mercy and grace. And if you've got, <laughs> you've got the rest of it here. In that word, 
where you see God's grace and the entire plan of salvation as, as we, at the tail end of history, can see all of the, the promises and all of the fulfillments and all of the glory culminating in this person, Jesus Christ, as we wait here during our Advent time again, wait for the annual celebration of the birth of Jesus, as well as wait for God to fulfill the final promise that he had made, that of returning. But that's the thing. That this God of free and faithful love, this God of mercy and grace, this God who sees and knows your distress, the God who yeah, knows the pain and the sin and all of it, he acted. He didn't just talk a big talk, but he came. Not in a burning bush that was impressive to this um, shepherd or goat herd of 40 years, but he came as a little baby in a manger. And surely the shepherds then would have and certainly could have taken their sandals off, but we don't hear that they did. But there he was, the Word made flesh. God's name for himself that, um, that he reveals to Moses at the end of this. I didn't leave it capitalized because I just did a copy and paste and didn't see it until after proofreading it, or printing it rather. But verse 14, So God replied to Moses, I am who I am. He also said, You'll say this to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And when he says those words, that word I am, that name, I am, um, it's actually a word you can't pronounce <laughs> in Hebrew. And, uh, and it's a word that kind of means, I am who I am, at the same time as a, a mishmash of another word that means, I will be who I will be, as well as, I will make happen what I said will happen. And so all those concepts culminating and pro proclaimed there at the burning bush, culminating in the birth of Jesus, and still spoken over us today. That the one who says, I am who I am, that this is the same God yesterday and today and forever. I will be who I will be. The same Lord that we worship is the same Lord that our children and grandchildren and generations after that will worship, and I will bring to pass what I will bring to pass, or I'll make it happen, <laughs> if you want the Toledo translation, I'll make it happen, that God is the one who did make it happen by sending his son in the flesh, by sending his son for people in distress, the one who sees your sorrow and mine, the one who saw your sin and mine, he came, he acted, to deliver his people not just from slavery there in Egypt, but from, from sin and from guilt, from the hopelessness that wants to live within, to deliver us from that hopelessness to the fact that we have a God who will be exactly who he said he would be. 
and he will bring to pass exactly what he said he would do. And you might notice this all the way at the end of our, at the end of our regular worship service um, with the, the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. And the very next verse after that, God says, in this way you will put my name on my people. That we're gathered here regularly on Sunday morning and, um, and in that blessing, that closing blessing, we have that exact same gracious and powerful word, name, of our God pronounced over you. The reality that, that we worship here together under his grace, that we share a common bond together as members of his body, that we share a common future together, both with those who have passed on ahead of us as well as those with whom we worship now, a common future that is filled with grace and forgiveness and mercy. Because the God who spoke at the burning bush, the angel of the Lord who spoke there to Moses, would 1,400 years later take on human flesh and die and rise so that you and I would know that we have a God who doesn't just talk a big talk, but he does what he says that he would do. He came to deliver his people. And so you and I... We could take comfort that the Lord has placed his name upon us, that he has forgiven our sin, that he has seen our distress and has said, dear friend, dear Christian, your sin is forgiven. Your Lord smiles upon you. Amen.